0: You're listening to The Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to The Elevate Podcast and another edition of Weekend Conversations. Each week, we'll take a deeper dive into an article or interview shared during the week, often a Friday forward. And joining me to do this is Mick, the co-producer of The Elevate Podcast. How are you, Mick? Hey, Bob. I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, Coming off a uh, family vacation week, so getting back to uh, a lot of my unanswered emails. But that's
1: how it should be. Fair enough. Yeah, so basically, we're going to be talking about the latest Friday Forward called Signaling Virtue. And this post focuses on the story of Alexei Navalny who died in prison last week in Russia under mysterious circumstances. Navalny was internationally recognized for being a strident critic of Vladimir Putin and his allies, and many reputable people have expressed suspicion that the Kremlin was potentially involved in his death. What prompted you to focus this on Navalny's story? Yeah, Navalny was sort of a prompt
0: for this. Uh, we were talking about this before the episode, but often there's kind of a subject that I've been hearing about, or or different things, and then there's a current event that maybe either supports that or kind of shows the opposite of that to bring out that story. And I think that was the the case this week, and that's sort of contrasting, you know, his situation, which is pretty pretty fascinating and amazing, particularly his decision to go back to Russia, uh, knowing kind of what his fate would be. With the sort of common practice of, of virtue signaling, and I just thought it was an interesting uh, contradiction to sort of look at the two and how they how they differ.
1: Yeah, and so I, I think it's a really important detail to emphasize. Obviously, Navalny's political activism was a huge part of why he was imprisoned, and you know he was, by his own accounting and insistence, kind of wrongfully imprisoned for political reasons by Putin's government. I think that what sort of might be the missing piece of the public's understanding of Navalny's story that really strikes the contrast with what you're talking about in the post, the virtue signaling, is Navalny actually was targeted by an assassination attempt in August of 2020. And he actually escaped Russia and got treatment in Germany and recovered. But then, shortly after he completed his recovery, he made the decision to go back to Russia with the knowledge that he was certainly giving up his freedom in doing so. And indeed, he was arrested as soon as he arrived in Moscow. But also, he may have literally been laying down his life for it. And that seems like a very important detail, that he knew that massive risk, and he still went back to Russia to continue his fight and his activism. Yeah, we
0: talk a lot about values and core values. And I think, you know, if you really believe in something deeply, as he believed in sort of the fighting the corruption in in Russia and the institution, then it's got to cost you something and you got to be consistent, you know, with that. And you you could assume that, you know, there are so many other people easier. He could have changed his story and say, I was wrong and a whole bunch of things and probably been totally free, but he just wasn't willing to do that. And he actually was... You know sometimes it sounds extreme say in history people would lay their you know life on the line for values and we don't really see that anymore in fact we see people shape-shifting their values often because you know they don't want to get in trouble with their own team or their own sort of side of the uh, coin but this just seemed a little bit of a of a throwback in terms of again he 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 believed in this and not that he was he made the ultimate sacrifice for it I, I look he was a young guy I don't even think he was 50 he was healthy he was transferred to a Kind of remote penal colony in the middle of nowhere, treated horribly, and then mysteriously dies, and his family can't find the body. So I'm generally not a conspiracy theorist, but I think you know, all 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 evidence points to one one outcome here.
1: Yeah. And so the decision that, or the framing of the post is to sort of juxtapose this example of Navalny willingly making this ultimate sacrifice and very deliberately choosing to lay everything on the line for his cause versus this concept of virtue signaling and particularly online virtue signaling. So can you talk about how you think of and define the latter, that type of virtue signaling?
0: Yeah, so I think virtual signaling, when someone tries to express opinion or a sentiment publicly, where the purpose is, is actually to demonstrate their that they're good or their character or their moral convictions around a particular issue the reason why they do it is is often to gain social approval or standing rather than to express genuine conviction in an idea. Like, look, a lot of things, and we've had a bunch in the last year, you know, strong positions are pretty controversial. Virtuous signaling is often like, It's hard to find a fault with it, right? It's something that is benign enough to support something that, you know, it's not, it doesn't really have a cost. It doesn't have a fault. You can't argue against it. And so, and people, it has a bandwagon element too, where people are kind of jumping on a popular trend and want to seem like they're on the right side of history or at least that, you know, movement of the moment.
1: Yeah. And so I think that there are, there's a lot of cases where people, try to make their voice heard on something, uh, a topic, you know, they might take a particular Facebook profile picture, for example, is a really common one where there's the sort of filtered ones that suit a particular social cause. And there tends to be a, a contagion effect where you see them just become extremely widespread. I think that there is often a distinction between two types of people who do that. I think that there are people who are genuinely opportunistic about this and don't care and just want to jump on the bandwagon and score some cheap social credibility. I also think there's a lot of people who do genuinely care to some extent but aren't necessarily putting their time and their money towards something. They see posting about it or putting some sort of reposted message out as their way of showing support. Do you think that there is a meaningful difference between that, or do you think it's all kind of the same thing, and it's not a whole lot of good if you're not willing to really come out and put something on the line for it?
0: I think there are degrees, right? I, I think if you had to make a general rule, I would say the folks that are early on something are taking some risk uh, with it, and you know there could be some blowback, but then once people see the bandwagon effects sort of kick in then being the last person to pile on the bandwagon is sort of very low risk you you don't know really how much they care about it but there's almost this fear of being left out or not in, it, it's almost like a a cousin of a fear of missing out a fear of not kind of jumping on the movement look one of the ones i can think of was right right after the George Floyd incident you know you had um people posting black squares or sort of a blackout on on social media And and there was a lot of social pressure to do that, despite not understanding how it might actually help in any way. And then it actually turns out it did more harm than good. What it did was just take over social media and sort of block out any voices or things that people were actually trying to talk about. It kind of overwhelmed social media with this basically large virtual signaling effort that actually did more harm than good because it shut out people who were trying to make more specific and impassioned you know arguments, um, and, and so the evidence was pretty clear. A week later, that that was a very futile and not helpful effort. But again, in the moment, I think a lot of people: thought, oh, if I don't do this, everyone else is is doing it. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things To post your job for free, terms and conditions apply.
1: Yeah, I so I'm perfectly willing to just acknowledge I was one of the people who did it. And I, at the time, I did think, is this really the best I can do? And (laughs) I, I didn't, I wouldn't say that I felt great about it in the moment, not because I wasn't supportive, but because I really was wondering whether it was actually doing any good. It didn't occur to me in the moment that it could possibly even be counterproductive. Like you were saying, it kind of drowned out the conversation and it overshadowed some more effective activism and points about it. But I do suspect that that type of thing does happen in a lot of cases. And in a social media environment where it's harder than ever to separate signal from noise, adding to the noise is part of the problem, is making yourself part of the problem in a way. Yeah. And you've probably felt some social
0: pressure to do that, right? Like uh, that we all do, like, this is how, this is how psychology works and it's all this stuff works. But yeah, I think social media makes this stuff pretty easy to change a logo or change a filter or do something or throw something out there. And, and, you know, this gets to the second part of the conversation. And then if it gets a little, you know, choppy at all, make it go away, (laughs) you know, quickly.
1: Yeah. And I, Where I keep kind of turning around in my head, sort of the idea I'm thinking about, is I think that it is difficult for people to acknowledge that sometimes that type of posting or reposting, even if it is well-meaning, even if it's not scoring points, even if it's by people who really, truly are passionate and supportive of the cause that they're doing— I think that it is difficult to accept the fact that maybe it's not doing any good. Maybe it's actually doing more harm than good. And maybe it is all noise that is drowning out. Or it's
0: encouraging noise, right? Like you said, maybe those 10 or 20 people actually supported the cause and did some stuff and then complemented it with some sort of social media initiative, making it easy for everyone else to think that grabbing a filter and, and changing it fixes everything and makes it better right so sometimes it, it it might be that they're actually just setting the stage for everyone else to virtue signal and think oh i'm such a good person or you know and it's hard to tell the authenticity when everyone's what doing something again the difference between sort of a real value and conviction and virtue signaling is like real value and conviction is i need to say that it's like it's like truth serum i need to say this and get it out there and like i'm dead set on this irrespective of who agrees, disagrees, and the consequences, virtue signaling is almost always safe. It doesn't cost you anything. And that's why, particularly, I think a lot, I've read a lot of conservative criticism on it is, again, if there's no risk or it doesn't cost you anything, it's very likely that it's not doing any good.
1: And I think that there is a meaningful difference between if it's something, as you said, that's very easy to do. There's a difference between that and something that Say if you write a very thoughtful article or post about something where you really dig into why you're passionate about it, what you think the actions that people can take are about it, you put that degree of time and effort and craft into really putting something unique and meaningful out about it. I think that there is a difference between even that and between just reposting something that takes two seconds.
0: Yeah. And look, people are afraid to have people disagree these days. I know that seems silly. Because it seems like we argue about everything. But someone told me once, particularly around my speaking, they said, look, if someone doesn't hate your speech, no one will someone won't love your speech, right? You can give a speech that's very blah, like it doesn't offend anyone, but it doesn't excite anyone. To kind of get fives, you need to get ones, and vice versa. You can write a three that's super neutral and doesn't mean anything to anyone. And that that's what a lot of these things are. They're threes, right? They just they're not horrible. They're not good. They don't do anything. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people, particularly in in the last couple of months and with some of the stuff in the Middle East, take some real risk. And they've acknowledged that there's consequences for that. Some of the people are shocked that there's consequences, which is a whole other article. And some are like fully willing to take them because they're like, look, if this is a belief that you have, then I don't want anything to do with you or your organization or or otherwise.
1: And if you're thinking about the sort of variations, the forms that the virtue signaling can often take. Yeah. And trying to kind of make a distinction between the various types. Is the primary issue that grates on you the lack of authenticity? Is it the lack of risk? Is it the lack of sacrifice? Or is it kind of everything rolled into one?
0: I think authenticity is the major and the other things are the minor, right? Because if you were authentic about it, then you'd understand it has some risks. It may have some consequence. It won't appeal to everyone. But also, again, are we solving anything? I tend to be very skeptical when everyone is jumping on some bandwagon of anything because I think it – and particularly when it's easy, right? When it's super easy. Can we can we just click the thing or give $5 or absolve ourselves a responsibility and say that we're a good person and make us think that we're a good person because we did that when – Everything that's super easy has a cost it's just a matter of understanding what that what that cost is and so again I'm I, I am I think some people have taken some strong actions recently and, and there's two camps one they they understand the consequences and they're willing to live with them but I've also seen some students pretty surprised that there are, consequences <laughs> for taking a stand or doing something. They, don't, they want the glory of the risk without the consequences. I mean, I was listening to, uh, I won't get into what actually happened, but I was listening to a, a young woman kind of sort of bemoan the things that led up to her losing her scholarship and, and otherwise in her housing. And she was out there trying to turn herself into sort of a martyr. And, and in fact, it was a very logical consequence for for what she did, but she just didn't see that. And she wasn't – she wanted other people to bail her out of those consequences rather than say, you know what? Like, I accept that. Like, I, I meant this. I felt this. I have – you know, I, I would do it again tomorrow and I accept everything that, that comes along with that. You just don't see that very often.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify
1: I think it's one thing to read a history book and understand, say, the great sacrifices of the leaders of the civil rights movement and things like that. But it is, I think that some of the context does get stripped away. And some of this, I think, happens in part because, with good reason, there has been an attempt to create this moral halo around the people who made great sacrifices for the civil rights movement, for example. But what I think that that strips away contextually is to some degree, the truly enormous risk that people were taking on by doing those things. And not just people like Martin Luther King and like John Lewis and other scions of the movement, but also any person who went to a civil rights march, for example, any individual person was putting their safety in jeopardy by doing that. And I think that the gravity of that was really part of the power of the activism, as it was in the case with with Navalny. Of Navalny's example, I think, is more powerful to people. And I think his legacy will live on with people who support him because he paid that ultimate price. And I think as you were saying. There's sort of that separation of the action and the consequence and the fact that the consequence in some ways gives the action its power.
0: Yeah, look, I've always said, you know, one of my hallmark things that I lean back on as a parent is making sure that my kids understand action and consequences. And I don't say consequence always as a negative, but that like actions have reactions equal and opposite reactions and they they go together and i think you need to learn that stuff and that's part of the problem with kind of helicopter parenting is sort of sticking a i think for a lot of kids is someone they've stuck a piece of wood or metal in front of that kind of organic process which oh i do this and this happens or i do this and this happens and and so our, somehow for better or for worse our actions are are decoupled from the outcomes and the effect that it has and mm-hmm. I, that that is, I think probably one of the reasons why this is a surprise for a lot of people today. I think that maybe an outcrop of of overparenting. But I, I've always said I, I I really want my kids to make sure they understand those things, both positive and negative, and try not to jump in the in the middle of them because that's how you figure out decision-making in life and risk and where you want to stick your neck out and where you don't and where it feels good and where where it doesn't. And, and I think a lot of that is missing today. And as you alluded to before, a lot of that is because online advocacy is a little bit of an oxymoron, right? He came back to Russia. He was there in person. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff's going on in person. A lot of this kind of post and scream and run and delete and duck like it, it and hiding and doing it under someone else's name. And, you know, do something virtuous under your main account and then attack someone under your pseudonym account like it it is just stripping away that sort of real life cause and effect.
1: I think this is also a really good example of how a positive incentive can become a perverse incentive as well. Virtue signaling surely existed before the 2016 presidential election, but I do think that regardless of how you felt about that when it happened, there was a real sense of anxiety a real sense of fear among a lot of people and i think a lot of people in that the especially in the early days of that administration felt extremely helpless and as if there was nothing they could do to change anything and i think that for a lot of people a galvanization took place of people saying get on twitter and say this is not normal and you know you you can't change who the president is but you can go online and you can post about it and providing an outlet for people and i don't want to just make a broad generalization that that was absolutely bad and that it never did any good but it's undeniable that it led to a lot of people who attempted to gain credibility, in some cases, to build careers by being these extremely strident virtue signaling critics of the Trump administration. I mean, if you back when he was on Twitter, you could see these people—the same ten people—replying to all of his tweets, saying, "You know, it is you, sir, who is wrong," and <laughs> that that wasn't serious engagement with any of the issues at hand, it was just an attempt to get some fame by piling on.
0: Yeah, people want to be on the inside or they want to be on the outside, right? So that's probably the opposite of virtue signaling is probably, I mean, I guess it is virtue because you're trying to espouse the opposite virtue, but some sort of disagreement signaling where you're just going to kind of jump in and take the opposite because you want to just be distance, you know, from that person when again, there is more nuance Another really good example of this that I wrote about in a Friday Forward um, maybe last year uh, or could have been 2022 was Dan Price, who was the CEO of Gravity Payments. Um, And Dan was on the cover of every magazine talking about culture and how he cut his salary down to the average thing and raised the salary of his uh, employees. And there there wasn't a magazine cover he wasn't on about him talking about How great he was and and you know how much he believed in culture. And and honestly, rang every alarm bell for me in the world. Uh, you know, a lot of times I have been fooled or not fooled, but I I was very skeptical because he was just always kind of talking about himself and the great deeds that he was doing. And then it it comes out, you know, all these horrible things and toxic culture and sexual harassment, all this stuff. And so but here's the thing that he probably was so narcissistic that he uh, he did all of that stuff to cover what was going on, and so many people jumped on his bandwagon without looking or thinking, you know, and they were they were just drinking his Kool Aid, and and he probably did all of that stuff. If you look go look at the history of of sort of his actions, he might have actually done all of that stuff as a cover. For some of the bad stuff that he had done and was doing, and that he was afraid to come out, and there were just depressed, and so many people were willing to jump on that and virtue signaling his praises without really looking under the hood at all.
1: There's a specific pop culture figure who I think potentially uses activism statements online to <laughs> insulate themselves for criticism, but to avoid tarnishing your brand, I, I won't. <laughs> I won't name them. But it's it's a really good example. Yeah, so this is where everyone else becomes complicit in it, right? Yeah. And I I think in a lot of cases it is just people can be very credulous when they want to believe something. And they want, you know, people wanted to believe in what Dan Price was selling because they liked the idea of elevating this extremely ethical quote unquote CEO, who again, it was it was cover and it, it was effective. Yeah. So I think that one thing that is notable is that this this talks about the importance of standing your ground and knowing that just because someone criticizes your viewpoint doesn't mean you should back away from it, true conviction in the face of criticism. You have also written about the importance of being open to changing your mind. And I don't think at all that those are two mutually exclusive things, but I am curious for how you make the distinction yourself between something that is just a non-negotiable stand behind it no matter what the criticism and what is something where you are more open-minded to criticism and willing to change your mind. Yeah,
0: so the key thing in here is why did you change your mind? (laughs) Did you change your mind because people provided perspective that impacted your belief set and altered what you thought and you actually don't believe what you believed anymore or changed it? Or did you change your viewpoint, not your mind, but you hadn't changed your mind because it was safer... To do so, right, and I think the former is always good, and I think it's good to say, "Look, yeah, you know what?" Upon reflecting on the new evidence, you know, admitted here, like I, my opinion is is altered, and and but if your opinion is based deeply on a value, it probably doesn't alter that much. But you might say, "Hey, look, by I, or I was wrong here, or there's more nuance, or otherwise." But my guess is, in a lot of cases, people actually don't change what they believe; they just change what they say because it got a little hot in the kitchen. only on Hulu.
1: I think that to simplify the distinction, it's about reactive versus conscious. And if you say, oh, I think, I think that all airplanes should be free, or I think all plane rides should be free, and everyone screams at you and says, that's stupid, I can't believe you think that. If you are thinking, oh, people are mad at me. Clearly, I'm wrong or I'm not going to say this anymore. That's probably not a good change. Yeah. But if you are hearing counter proposals to what you're saying and you're thinking, huh, these, this makes a lot of sense, that's worth revisiting your opinion on.
0: it. 100%. Look, we should all be willing to revisit. But these things tend to, and these things that we're talking about in values tend to be foundational things, right? Like treating people well. You know it's very likely if that's a core value of yours that you're gonna be willing to find a case where we should treat someone horribly I mean yeah, there could be some outlier, but so again, it's just how how foundational is it for you how much of a value is it again how much do you care and and how much you know are you willing to to stick with that if that was a scale of one to ten you know we also wrote a post recently about like uh it was a leadership moment about um in the decision making, when people are arguing, like ask someone on a one to five how much they really care, because some people just like arguing red or black t-shirts, you know, to the end, and and that helps you go with a person who really cares more. If the opinions are sort of equal, I think there's a similar version of that here, right? A lot of these things people don't really have a strong opinion. It just it just feels easy to kind of throw it in, and some of them are things that really strike pretty deeply for people, particularly in this case that we started with, which was you know, about the whole institution and the the political system in the Russian government that he was strongly opposed and felt like was unfair to the citizens of Russia.
1: So that's a pretty good segue, actually, to the quote of the week, which is from Frederick Douglass. I prefer to be true to myself, even at the hazard of incurring the ridicule of others, rather than to be false and to incur my own abhorrence. What resonates with you about this?
0: Yeah, such a well-written... Quote. Look, this goes before to what you were asking me. It goes to the sort of authenticity, right? Are you, what are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to sacrifice the public perception or your internal sort of value set or otherwise? And I think, you know, the incur my own abhorrence is sort of an acknowledgement to that. It's it's very easy to you know ignore the ridicule by giving up the things that you really care about the most. And then that that causes a different sort of pain, right? The pain of external validation versus the pain of feeling that you kind of maybe are a fraud to your, to yourself. Um, and I think it, in the moment, the first one feels it, it's sort of a short term, long term, My guess is like external validation is sort of the easy thing to try to cure or plug the, the dam on. But I'm guessing like internal misalignment or crossing your own values or doing that for the appeasement of others is probably a worse
1: feeling in the long run for most people you can't lie to yourself forever you can in the short term yeah dan price might be able to i don't know (laughs) all right want
0: to take us out so thanks again for listening to this week's episode of weekend conversations if you want to check out the post we just discussed go to Robertglazer.substack.com and look for the post titled signaling virtue Also, keep your eye open for future editions of Weekend Conversations, which will be in your podcast feed on Saturday mornings. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app, as that's how you learn about new episodes uh, and keep up to date on all the latest. So until next time, keep elevating.